obviously I'd like to have an impact on them being a good athletic trainer, which is the role that I've been hired to be. But I truly hope that I give them somebody that they can look to, to trust, to talk to, uh, to confide in when they're going through things. So I always hope that not only during the time that they're here with me, but when they've moved on and graduated, I always hope that I've, I've, I keep that connection with them. Uh, from the time they get injured to the time that they return to either sport or if they don't return to sport, you see that initially the athlete or the injury defines the athlete. And to watch them transition from the injury defining them to overcoming that, whether it's to continue pursuing athletics or to do something outside of athletics, that is really what, um, what I like. Field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becchio, well placed. Come on, Jay. Come on, Jay. I wish I could play one more down. Keep this jersey on one more play. I give it my all. It has been my pleasure and my honor. Athletic trainers. They're not your coach. They're not your teammate or your parent or an administrator that passes you by on campus to say good game last night. They are a special breed and they can come to develop special relationships with athletes. Ones that go beyond making people do some mandatory baseline concussion test or traveling to away games because that's just policy. Athletic trainers often see an athlete at their worst, their most vulnerable. Sometimes they're the ones making you at your worst and most vulnerable because they can be the bearer of bad news. They can tell an athlete that they can't play anymore. But with their occupational skills and hopefully their empathy, compassion, and patience, Athletic trainers go on to build you back up. They help to support you and make you feel confident, whether you return to sport or you don't. Our athletic trainers at Swarthmore in college during preseason paperwork stuff and meetings, they always used to joke, we don't want to see you. As in, the goal is obviously for you not to be injured and not to have to come in. And going off of that, they're not engaging with all athletes. And when they do, it can be a very get in, get your ankle tape, get out kind of way. Not super involved. The point is, though, athletic trainers are there, whether you need them or not. And that is an amazing concept. The fact that that resource, that space is there is so cool and something you don't ever get the full luxury of again once you retire. Just walk five minutes to get some stim treatment and maybe sit in an ice bath or rehab your ACL. That's sorcery. That just does not happen as a real-life adult. For an athlete, leaving behind the athletic training staff and all that is attached to that can be a hard goodbye. 
Like many hard goodbyes, it can happen when you're not ready on harsh terms. And you know, when an athlete moves on, it also hits these trainers, these people who love their job. That's not just a job, but a way of life. Of course, trainers are not getting interviewed before a big game or the ones hitting the buzzer beaters, but considering all that they do and all that they provide, it's time to give them a bit of that same attention. And what better way to do that than to go into their natural habitat, the training room. Two training rooms, to be exact, both in Los Angeles, one at a Division I university. Hi, my name is Toral Desai, and I'm a physical therapist and athletic trainer. I currently work at UCLA for our women's indoor and beach volleyball team. The other at a high school. Hi, my name is Brian Gallagher. I'm the director of sports medicine at Harvard Westlake School. We're peeking into their world. They're, they're letting us peek into their world. These two individuals in sports medicine and this natural habitat, figuring out how they got into the field, why they love what they do. And through that, we get to approach the athlete experience as a whole from a very different angle. How did you get into sports medicine and what made you realize that this was the right career for you? Uh, well, I've always been interested in sports. I've played sports since I, I can remember and organized sports probably since middle school. And I knew I wanted to do something science-based, but I knew that I love sports. And so once I got into high school, they actually offered a sports medicine class. So it was like the perfect bridge between two of my interests. And so I took that in high school. It sparked my interest. I uh, went to college and I actually went through a physical therapy program first. And so I didn't know I wanted to get into athletic training until way later. So I got my degree in PT, worked in a clinic, realized that I wanted to do something a little bit more fast paced and then applied to a master's program for athletic training and ended up loving it and worked at a high school out of my master's program. And then, uh, then I'm here now. So it's a little bit of a different journey than most people. Uh, so growing up in Pennsylvania, just outside of Scranton, um, really all we did as kids growing up was play sports. So I knew that um, from a very young age, I always wanted to do something associated with sports, but it became uh, very clear in high school that my athletic career was coming to an end um, because I wasn't very good and uh, had no future in that. Um, I started researching different avenues within sports, thinking about sports broadcasting, journalism, things of that nature. Um, my brother was a college athlete and sustained an injury around that time. And, uh, you know, when I was in high school, we didn't have athletic trainers. We never heard of it. Um, but when he got hurt in college, uh, it was the athletic trainer that, res that responded to him and then helped get him back. And from that point on, um, it was a back injury, and from that point on, I kind of started looking into it, um, found out that, you know, uh, athletic training sports medicine was an undergraduate uh, major that you can do, so I started researching that probably from about late sophomore year of high school, and then uh, uh, applied to a bunch of colleges, and, and that was pretty much the path I wanted to go in, um, and yeah, so 
that's that's what got me started in it. And then I majored in it at Westchester University. Still wasn't sure what level I wanted to do, you know, college, professionals, high school. Um, but then, you know, I had a football rotation at Westchester and we went to the University of Delaware to play a football game and kind of fell in love with the Division One environment and atmosphere um, and knew I wanted to do that. So I went to grad school at the University of Connecticut, um, worked football there um, and kind of fell into football for my career. Um, spent 15 years uh, bouncing around a little bit. Uh, University of Connecticut hired me on full time to be a football athletic trainer. Uh, went from there to the University of Toledo, went from the University of Toledo to Stanford University, left Stanford uh, for to run the department at the University of Maryland. Um, and then after a year, Stanford uh, hired me back. So my wife and I made the cross-country journey uh, twice in uh, about a 12-month span. Um, and then at the end of the 15 years, uh, you know, my wife and I were looking more for, for more stability, less 24-7, less being on call all the time. And uh, the position at Harvard-Westlake opened up and, you know, it seemed like a great place to kind of settle down and, and uh, took this position three years ago. It's been, it's been fun. I, I think I speak for a lot of athletes when I say that athletic trainers you can really come to play a pretty unique role in an athlete's life. You guys are interacting with athletes in a way that's very different than others. Your job goes beyond injury prevention and management and those sorts of things we might just see athletic trainers engaging with on the surface level. Can you talk a little bit about how you view your job? What kind of presence do you seek to have? Yeah, so it's interesting. I actually was just having this conversation with the coach of ours and you go through all this schooling, and it's all science-based, practical-based, but you don't actually realize what your role is until you're in it. And you don't, especially working at the collegiate level or a professional level, how much you're involved in, and with me working in the women's, on the women's side, like each one of these young ladies, I, I have like a pulse on not only them as athletes, but first and foremost, them as individuals and and everybody is so different and you have to approach everybody a little bit differently in terms of what you need to do so obviously for the athletic training side with injury prevention and all that that's that's pretty standard but then you have to dip into kind of what they have going on in their own lives and some of their backgrounds and so some of those things, like I said, I, I just didn't uh, realize until I, I started the program and um, or started my, my time here um, at UCLA. And I think that's something that most people don't know. And I think that that's one of the biggest things I really appreciate about working here is not only seeing them progress in their injury, from their injury, but them as uh, young women going from their freshman year all the way through their senior year and seeing how they develop as as people too. So the presence that I seek, it's obviously I'd like to have an impact on them being a good athletic trainer, which is the role that I've been hired to be. But I truly hope that I give them somebody that they can look to, to trust, to talk to, uh, to confide in when they're going through things. So I always hope that not only during the time that they're here with me, but when they've moved on and graduated, I always hope that I've, I've, I keep that connection with them. Um, 
which I, I I'm really happy to say that there have been so many that I've reached out after they've graduated just to check in or and now we're all social media friends so they'll <laughs> see some of my posts or um, or I'll see some of them getting engaged and married so that's that's really neat. Early on, uh, my mentor at the University of Connecticut, uh, he's, he's very much a blue-collar athletic trainer. Uh, I come from a blue-collar family. Um, kind of instilled the, the, you know, the notion that an athlete overcoming an injury, um, basically when you boil it down, is just anyone overcoming adversity. Um, you need perseverance. You need uh, resiliency. Um, and... And I see it as my job to help them overcome adversity. My favorite part is where, you know, the relationship that you build with an athlete as they're doing this, you, you can almost see uh, from the time they get injured to the time that they return to either sport or if they don't return to sport, you see that initially the athlete or the injury defines the athlete. And to watch them transition from the injury defining them to overcoming that, whether it's to continue pursuing athletics or to do something outside of athletics, that is really what, um, what I like. Here's a, here's a big takeaway from this pod, a fun fact. Your current athletic trainers, any athletic trainers that you've been involved with, are modern-day Renaissance men and women. That is the range of their knowledge base is astounding. We have to know a little bit about a lot of things. You're kind of a jack-of-all-trades, but master of none. So what I mean by that is, obviously, there's, like, the musculoskeletal side, so if somebody gets injured, but, I mean, if somebody's coming down with something kind of funky, like... It seems like a cough, but is it a cough or is it pneumonia? You know, like it's all these things that we have to really try to navigate uh, from that to like maybe like a skin issue or something that's not completely in our wheelhouse, but we have to know some of it. So we have to play this liaison between the athlete and whatever physician or it may be something even mental health related. So we have to be able to navigate and be that, uh, that middle woman uh, between like the athlete and, and said profession. You're almost like the gatekeeper to help them navigate the healthcare system as well as the athletic system, whether it's, you know, appointments, uh, getting them in to see the right doctor, you know, uh, rehabilitation, um, you know, just helping them transition to another aspect of, of their career or this incident. Um, that's really what I think sets it apart. And that's stuff that's not covered in college. You know, you don't you don't go to school and learn um there's no like recipe for, okay, person A comes in, suffers an ACL tear, you know, the textbook says they're going to be back in six to nine months. What happens if they can't get back in six to nine months? You know, what happens if they suffer a setback? What happens if they can't establish a range of motion in time? You know, things of that nature that you kind of have to navigate through and, and massage through. And that's where you have to lean on the resources that are available to you while also, um, showing confidence in your own abilities to the athletes so that they can trust you. What's something about you guys, something about athletic trainers that most people don't always think about, but would be helpful for them to know? You know, I think, I think some people realize this, but we're never off duty. The dedication and the hours you put in, um, it's a lifestyle. It's not a job. <laughs> so it's like we we're here and we're present and 
we have FaceTime with people. But for me, and I always say this, like I'm either all in or I'm all out. And when we're in season, I'm all in. And so I'm here during the day. I go home. I think about things or respond to emails or I'm talking to some of the girls about some things going on and or the coaching staff. So there's never really an off time, even if I'm ne- not necessarily here in the present. A lot of times, and I do, you know, I, I pursued my career with a very ambitious mindset at the expense of the some of the people that are closest to me. They end up taking a back seat a lot of the times, which is kind of why I'm where I am right now is because, you know, my life priorities have shifted where I want to um, prioritize them a little bit more than my career. But I mean, in terms of, you know, it's not just what you see on the sidelines, you know, it's a 24 seven year round job where you're placing other people's health, health care and well-being above your own and above your families. So in terms of, you know, missing important life events like weddings, funerals, I mean, I had to cut my honeymoon short to come back to work. Um, things of that nature, like you're gonna sacrifice um, your personal life to advance your professional one. And, and, you know, there's a lot that goes with that. And I have some regrets from doing that. Um, but I don't know if I would change what I did looking back. In thinking about the scope of this podcast, I wanted to talk about the intersection between retired athlete and athletic training staff. I'm hoping you might be able to explain this a bit better, but pretty much there's paperwork, school and insurance things that say at what points you, as an athletic trainer, are legally allowed to treat an athlete. So there's there's an expiration date almost on the athletic trainer-athlete working relationship. And that's not to say that athletes are breaking down crying because you guys can't treat or support them anymore in the ways you used to be able to and it's not like you guys are all all, it's not like all the time you guys are physically kicking uh retired athletes out of the training room but very basically it is a different kind of goodbye in several key ways it's more of the cut and dry paperwork says so follow the rules farewell rather than the slow release goodbye an athlete might experience with teammates, coaches, or just playing their sport in general. So I'm, I guess I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on um, that and your experiences within that dynamic and situation and maybe some of both the good and bad that you've seen come with it for the athlete, but also maybe just you as a human doing a job that, like you said, is very 24-7 and requires a lot of empathy. Yeah, so I think that some of my athletes who have graduated, I have a few who are playing either overseas or professionally, they will reach out to me. They also have other resources where they're at, but um, in reference to some of the ones who are no longer playing the sport, and had injuries while here at UCLA. We obviously have our policies of when we can treat them and how long we can treat them for, especially if they had injuries while playing their sport at UCLA. So they can come back here and we can treat them within reason. But I do have athletes who don't live in California. So that's where it gets a little bit tricky. But 
we try our best and especially with me like I get close with a lot of these kids because like I've talked to you about I, I'm with them so much I get to know their families their siblings their grandparents um, so with me for the most part if they've had issues a lot of them will text or call me and I'll try to at least find resources for them in their places and amongst all of us staff we know somebody in in most major states so we can always find them good PTs or good physicians who are out there so we try to bridge that gap if we can and I think the tough part that I've seen with the athletes is how much more difficult it is to get those resources as consistently compared to when they were here and you can walk in the athletic training room and get two to three hours of PT a day and get seen by a physician the same day as opposed to in the real world sometimes you have to wait you know unless you go to the emergency room you have to wait a week two three weeks you know for an x-ray and so um, that's the tougher part I think for athletes is not being able to see somebody as consistently or as quickly as when they were here. And with regards to UCLA I made a joke about this on the social media for the podcast, but it's 100% true. The facilities, the resources, the training room, it's all luxurious. There's like five jacuzzis. There's so many gadgets. Everything's pristine and perfectly blue and yellow. And even walking in there, I I just felt like I was making the place dirtier or worse. Just I'm too much of a troglodyte to even be around those things so yeah being a student athlete there and just having access to all that it's wild and I really wouldn't be surprised if most of the athletes who go who leave that campus go on to graduate if they ever get to experience that sort of environment again Uh, certain places where I've where I've worked uh, it was very cut and dry where Uh, If someone is medically retired, you are allowed to treat them for the injuries sustained or the conditions sustained while they were a member of the active roster. And beyond that, they have to utilize the same resources that any student would use. So if it's a difference between seeing the sports medicine department versus the health services department, that that was the cutoff date for certain schools. Um, For other schools, it's almost a recruiting tactic that even alumni can come back and get treatment when they're in town and things of that nature. So um, there is that. The only time I've ever, I ever recall having to say, no, I can't treat you, is when an athlete had a pending lawsuit against the university or the athletics department or the sports medicine department. And that was, that was one instance where I said, you know, legally, I'm not allowed to lay hands on you. I'm not allowed to do anything. If you would like to get a bag of ice, that, that's great. But um, with the pending litigation, I'm not allowed to. On this level, on the, on the high school level, it's much easier. Any student that is, sustains an injury at Harvard-Westlake or uh, outside of Harvard-Westlake, if they're a Harvard-Westlake student, we will not turn away. Um, that being said, uh, for athletes that suffer an injury during a Harvard-Westlake event, anything not covered by their primary insurance will be picked up by Harvard Westlake secondary insurance. And that's the way it is um, uh, at most colleges I've worked at too. Other than that, certain alumni come back, but it's kind of, if you're gonna treat them, it's kind of on you. You know, what, whatever you choose to do or choose not to do with them, it's, it's up to you. Um, but 
obviously the priority goes to the current student athletes at, regardless of the environment. Sometimes you have to be the one to end an athlete's career. What's it like to be involved in making that call? Uh, it was really tough. Really, really tough. And I think that a lot of it has to do with the communication that comes before that. So making sure they know that we are, they know the steps that are being taken before making that call. They know what we're looking for, and they know that if, if these aren't the situations, like this is probably the move that needs to happen and why that is. And obviously the initial reaction for somebody who wants to return to sport and, and has been told they can't, it's like devastating. That's their world. But I think what I've experienced is they realize it afterwards. They look at the long-term effects once they're out of it. That's probably what needed to be best. And um, they think of the long-term things like having kids and being able to pick them up or going for runs, you know, 10 years down the line. So, but the initial shock is, is not fun for them. And it's definitely challenging for us to be able to talk to them about that. It's never easy. It doesn't, it doesn't become easy. And sometimes, you know, um, people are crushed and then other times you see almost like a sense of relief mm-hmm. because you know those people that are always in the training exactly <laughs> and there are certain people who who play the sport not for the fun of the sport but because of outside influence whether it's parental whether it's financial whether it's something and you say you kind of take it off their shoulders where they don't want to continue and you say you know what you don't have to make that call we'll make that call and we'll support you and you literally see a weight lifted off their chest you know where we'll be the ones contacting their parents we'll be the ones you know telling the coach like no it can't he can't do it and um, or he or she can't do it, and 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 you see a weight lifted off their chest, and that sometimes that's almost a good feeling to see. It's like okay, you know, um, we were wondering how this was gonna go, and 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 they took it they took it really well. The athletic training room, on the one hand, is very much about getting things done. You guys, as athletic trainers, have a job to do. You want athletes to get the treatment that they need when they come in, get their ankle tape, get them out to practice, whatever it may be. Athletes are coming in, trying to do their rehab, etc. You want them signing in. It's very You're trying to keep track of it all. On the other hand, from what I've seen, the athletic training room is also very much a watering hole. That is, there's some socializing. There's a lot of socializing. People are talking about things that... Maybe they shouldn't be talking about in the athletic training room. Maybe it's a little bit chaotic as you guys are trying to do your job. It's also fun. Um, So in an ideal world, what kind of training room vibes are you trying to foster? So I think for me, I work best when I'm able to kind of joke around a lot with my athletes. So again, that goes back to knowing your athletes and knowing you know, what might make this person laugh versus that person or what this person might be going through. So you kind of know how to navigate things to kind of make this a more comfortable place to be. Because if you think about it, most people who are in here are typically either injured or they're really trying to prevent an injury that they've had. And so it could be a negative space if people think of it that way, but I always try to make it so that it's a little bit more of a fun environment.
Uh, I like to see people being comfortable coming into the athletic training room. You know, they, they shouldn't be afraid to come in. They shouldn't um, hesitate to come in. Um, but by the same token, when they do come in, we, we want to maintain a professional status. Like we, we have a strict do not take pictures and post it on social media um, uh, rule. You know, we, we basically th throw out the, you know, it's privacy laws. You can see in the background, someone could be getting treatment and you could be violating HIPAA or FERPA, you know, and, and that usually scares them into not doing that. Um, there's a lot of joking around. Uh, you want it to be, you know, fun. Um, you want them to be comfortable. But by the same token, we, we do want to maintain a level of professionalism and get, keep it very much a medical facility. And um, uh, my staff, Kelly Blumberg, T.R. Wells, Alex Calderon, and Alex Hernandez and I, uh, we take a lot of pride in the environment that we, we try to create and the comfort level with the with the student athletes as well as the coaches and, and the administrators. Uh, I mean, there's our door is literally always open so that, um, and that was a conscious effort so that people felt comfortable to come in rather than, you know, wondering what was in here and, uh, you know, we'll never turn coaches away. Um, uh, transparency is kind of a big thing where come on in and see what we do, you know? Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It can be challenging though. I think something that really struck me as I was listening to both Toral and Brian's answers is definitely not always, not saying that this is what the athletic training room is all about, but it's a place where some of the sadder, discouraging, maybe just more negative elements of sport are taking place. But simultaneously, it's this room that athletes are gravitating to, that they want to be in, socialize in, joke around in. There's all this banter and maybe, I mean, it, when you think about it, maybe it does actually make a lot of sense that these two seemingly contradictory, I guess, energy vibes um, would go together. They kind of balance each other out. It's a decompression thing, but I think it really speaks though to the type of people that are working in sports medicine and the fact that they're able to create a positive space where athletes feel comfortable, where they feel at ease, despite some of the not-so-happy things that may be going on in that room. In all seriousness, though, this right here, this what you're about to listen to, is one of the most important things that takes place in the training room day-to-day. -day. It just goes to show how much learning, how, how much two-way learning happens here. We overhear a lot of gossip, you know, things of that nature, you know. This is a new term that I learned, but there's a lot of tea that's around here. So people, there's just, it's a lot of like socialization. And, and that's, I am okay with that to a certain extent. I mean, they have to be able to let loose a little bit and talk about things within reason. And so that kind of makes things fun and, and keeps me young too so yeah. I kind of learn like you know yeah. what's going on in this culture for sure. And finally we've talked about the broader themes and concepts that go along with your job. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing uh, I'm sure there's a ton but if you wouldn't mind sharing a moment or two a story or two that really has stuck out to you in your career so far. Well, the stories that I think of are, like I was telling you earlier, I like to joke around with a lot of the girls, and especially when we're in the thick of things. So uh, one of the highlights is pretty obvious. We 
for beach volleyball, we won back-to-back championships. So to be part of that team or those two teams was just unreal. Um, just amazing experiences with an, with an amazing group of young women and coaching staff. Uh, so that was just altogether just one of the biggest highlights of my career in general. Um, but one of my favorite memories was probably two years ago in the preseason, uh, there were a couple girls on the indoor team. So preseason means at UCLA, they didn't start school yet. So we literally just had volleyball. So we're doing double days, you know, we're just in the grind of things. And a couple of the girls and I started to prank each other. So some of it would be, uh, I don't even remember all of them. It was just something silly, like silly things, like leaving the windshield wipers up or something like that, like pretty like mellow things. We go to Hawaii, and I decide to saran wrap a couple of their backpacks and hide them. <laughs> um, and then, so we were going back and forth. And then finally, after the saran wrap incidents, I was texting them, and I was like, wow, you guys haven't pranked me. Um, you guys are way, obviously waving the white flag. And they were like, no, 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 just wait. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I, wait, I wait a week, and it's finally like one of my days off, which means I came in for a few hours. And... Um, one of them was, they all knew that I was in, but they knew that I was doing either paperwork or doing treatment. So one of them was like, hey, are you still in your office? I think I want to get treatment. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'm going to be in here for another hour. I don't hear from her. And so finally, after an hour, I was like, you know, hey, I'm going to take off. She's like, no problem. I don't need treatment anymore. I was like, okay, random, but that's fine. Um, I walked down to my car and it is covered in post-it notes and not just like one color, they had designed it to look like a race car, and every single inch of my car was covered with a post-it note. This is when you're like, I wish they were in school. <laughs> yeah. Time on their hands. Yeah. So it took me like an hour oh and a gosh. half to take that thing off, and and people who were walking by, which were other athletes, because other uh, sports were also in, they were just dying. I'm sure I was on like Snap stories or Instagram stories. So it took me an hour and a half, and they, they call me. They're like, are you mad? I'm like, no, I am impressed. And the funniest part was on my antenna, they put a white Post-it note, and they were like, white flag my ass. <laughs> and so, but that was just like one of the highlights because it just kind of showed like, you know, and they the two girls who I was like having this prank war with recruited more people to help. So it was like five or six of them who just put this whole thing together. Um, but it was just a highlight because we just – in the thick of things, we still found time to just kind of have fun and have a few laughs. So, awesome. you know, those are kind of a couple of my highlights. And then obviously one of the other ones is, or I guess this accounts for a few different people, is seeing people who go from, like, having surgeries to being able to play fully and start and do really, really well in terms of my role as an athletic trainer. That's, I mean, one of the, the biggest things you can ask for is just to see all the work that these girls put in and then be able to be so successful with it, so. Do you think, like, being kind of a prankster is part of an athletic trainer? Because <laughs> I had, when I was in college, I had an athletic, tra- athletic trainer help me prank our coach, and, like, I was surprised at how on board she was with it. Like, <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> I think, so, I think it's part of it. Of it. <laughs> I think it's, I know it's part of a lot of our personalities just because you work long hours, so you got to, you got to find time to laugh and have yeah. a little fun, for sure. Of yeah. It's funny, you know, you, you get so caught up in the day-to-day and the grind and, and what's going on day-to-day that, you know, you know I'm not going to lie to you. When I saw this, this question kind of come across, 
it got me wondering. It got me sitting down. It, it, it made me sit down and think about all the things that I've experienced and seen and try to pick out just a couple of things, you know, whether it's the stereotypical, you know, you have a, an offensive lineman that sustains a knee injury, but, you know, you got to keep them playing. So you, you, you know, you get a custom brace and you're trying to establish confidence in them to do that. And they finish the season and stuff like that. You think of like more personal things like I'll, I'll never forget um, the first Rose Bowl I was at with Stanford. I mean, it was it was it was kind of cool because uh, that's the only game um, that my mother and wife were in attendance together. And that was really cool. Um, you know, my, my wife came down on the field after we won and my mother was in the stands with that and her brother and, and her brother's wife as well. So, but that was, that's the only game in, in 17 years that my wife and my mother were both in attendance together. I'll, I'll never forget that moment. That was cool. Um, and then just little things, you know, like, um, the best friends of my life, uh, are the people I worked with at, at, at Connecticut, Toledo, Stanford, Maryland, and, and will be you know, the staff members here when, when I leave this place eventually, um, because you, you're in it together. Um, you don't see my best friends. I, I don't see for years on end, but like, for example, this past summer, we were at a national convention and we're sitting down at dinner, all of our families, all of our wives and, and, and us sitting down, like reminiscing about stuff that happened eight, 10 years ago that just, you forget about and and you just pick up right where you left off you know you reminisce about times and stuff that you even forget like my wife even made the comment after that dinner like you guys should sit down and write a book because some of the stories that we talked about like no one would believe that it happens you know and it's funny things or serious things or things that scared us but you couldn't convey that it scared us or the real stressful times or the happy times i mean it's it's a gamut it's it's a roller coaster it's a it's a lifestyle and and it very much becomes almost like an addiction. Like uh, at some point I'm not gonna do this anymore and I don't know how I'm gonna react to that. <laughs> the athletic trainers who empty themselves into this profession will one day have to run along too. We are lucky as athletes to be in the presence of people who love this job like Toral and Brian do. Our bodies are better off because of it and I'm gonna say it as cheesy as it sounds. Our hearts are too. We're better off as people because we get to interact with athletic trainers in whatever capacity that may be. Also, I think the other main conclusion here is watch your back around these athletic trainer types because you never know what joke or prank you might find yourself on the end of. Thank you to Toral and Brian for coming onto the podcast. Thank you to all athletic trainers out there. And thank you for listening. We hope to see you next time.